It is with great joy that we're able to be with you this morning, and I'm thankful for each of you. Everybody that went on the Poland trip, if you guys could come on up, uh, we want to share with you what uh, we experienced last week. Um, I got to spend a week with seven wonderful guys, and come on up here, guys, so we can see you. You're kind of short, Nick, so I want you to make sure they can see you real good. Um, but it's hard to believe that at 1 a.m. We, uh, we got up in Warsaw, Poland, and at 11.30 that night, I was going to bed in Sullivan County, Indiana. And that is just crazy to think that you could be that far away, and in a short 22 hours, it wasn't a short 22 hours, in <laughs> 22 hours, I'm back at home. And just it just blows my mind that, that God has blessed us with the intelligence to figure out how to do that. And so um, it was a long day. It was a long day, but uh, I, we got these guys up here. There's another microphone around here somewhere. Uh, ooh, good catch. Uh, okay, you got it. All right, so I'm going to have these guys just share what happened to them uh, this week and what they experienced. So, Nick, I'll let you go first. Morning. Uh, my name is Nick. I uh, don't know many of you. I uh, I was a it's not okay. Uh, I was uh, part of Chris's former ministry, and uh, I go to school at Indiana State. Uh, but I work up in Crawfordville still on weekends, so I come in when I can. And, uh, so yeah, I I didn't know many of the guys on this trip uh, before going, and it was. Um, really cool and really touching to get to know each and every one of these guys uh, individually and just be someplace uh, and just be someplace where um, our only goal was to serve and to be the hands and feet of God. And in, um, in many places, there was a, a really big language barrier between everyone, but, um, but in a lot of ways, there really wasn't because everyone was still speaking in the language of God. Uh, it was incredible to see the joy of the Lord in the face, the faces of the cooks, in um, in the staff members, and in the refugees, um, because everyone, um, even in uh, in a despair situation, uh, was just happy to uh, to be there and to help wherever they could. And there was even some um, refugees that um, that were doing their part around the camp and uh, and using their their skills. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was just a, a really uh, really cool experience. And um, I went in as a as a stranger to uh, to a lot of the guys on this trip, but um, walked out with many with many friends and uh, and a lot of great experience. So. So, I mean, um, I am Corey. I think you know that. Oh. <laughs> Being the youngest guy on the trip was kind of fun. Um, seeing all the guys older than me um, and the oldest being Ken, the <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool to see everybody chip in um, and the relationships that were made so quickly. Uh, one of my favorite parts was when we pulled in on the bus and all the refugees were standing 
either where the bus pulled in or on the rails um, of the place where they were staying. Uh, also, I when, at school this week when people asked or when teachers asked, I liked the relationships between the refugees and, um, I just about said Russians, whoops. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Ukrainians and the Polish or the Polidians. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I liked how very few of them knew each other going into that camp and the camp's open arms kind of spread the love of God and it seemed like everybody knew each other forever uh, with how they treated each other. Um, and doing work all day was fun, but just a few minutes or the hour that we had for each meal uh, was fun. Uh, we, met a, one of, we met a kid named Ivan. Uh, he was like 10 and he had a very helpful heart, even though a lot of times he made things worse trying to help. <laughs> he, he still helped a lot and he was learning English at a very small level, but it was so cute and funny just to see how he had the same love for God as we did, even though we're so much older. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hi, y'all. My name's Devin. Uh, I've been here for a while. Um, so this was my first missions trip ever. Well, out of, out of the States, at least, in my first plane ride ever. So uh, Ken and the boys made sure to comfort me a whole lot. They said, oh, don't worry. We'll go down over the water. And it made, made the first-time flyer in the window seat feel, feel great. Um, but I can't thank you guys enough for the prayers and support. Um, I never thought I'd be brave enough to go and do something like this, but it was absolutely incredible. Um, Ivan became our little spokesperson, and his, his first phrase is, hello, I'm Ivan, and high five. And so we went from high five to a fist bump to fist bump with exploding, and, and Ivan just rocked him. He was hilarious. Uh, the food, the cooks were absolutely incredible. Um, the camp got us everything that we could need, tool, lumber-wise. Um, so the work was difficult reframing the doors because they just ordered doors, not doors that would fit. So... You, you do what you do, and you get what you get when you're in that situation. Um, but it was absolutely incredible getting to work, not just with the guys, but with the refugees. Pastor Pal Pavlo? Pavlo? That one, what, what Ken said. <laughs> um, but it was just a, an incredible time, and I can't thank you guys enough. My turn, huh? Yeah, it's your turn. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who, uh, who helped and prayed for me to go. I remember when, when Chris first brought it up about the trip, uh, just the Holy Spirit, you know, saying, you know, you need to do this. And I told Christy right after uh, when we were in the car, it's like, you know, I, I think I need to go on that. And uh, we prayed about it. And after that, I didn't worry about anything. I told Chris, emailed him and said, uh, I'd, I'd like to go on the trip. Uh, and after that, I didn't worry about nothing. The finances, the, you know, there was a lot of people that were, were scared, you know, because of the war that's going on. But it was a, there was a peace, so I knew that that's where God wanted me to be. Uh, the trip over there was uh, very interesting with the, with the plane ride. I don't think I've ever been on a plane ride that long before, but uh, luckily, there was an extra seat available where I was able to go and have a little more room. Uh, sitting next to Ken for 10 hours is a, just a, an adventure in itself. Uh, love all the pictures that we took. Uh, oh, what do I say? I did write some stuff down, but I don't know if I want to even. Uh, 
That was a few things that really hit me uh, when we were over there about the refugees. Uh, they were getting ready to ship all the, all the containers that they were staying in, the pods. And those pods were like seven foot wide by 20 foot. They had two bunk beds in them and then a couple little shelving units that they you know, could put their stuff on and maybe a, a rack in the back that they could hang their clothes. They had heat and electricity in them, but they were very small. And for four grown men to, to be in those little pods and move around, if one guy was getting dressed, you pretty much, you know, were sitting where you were until that guy was done so you could get around because, you know, there wasn't a lot of room. And to be, to be living in those pods for as long as the refugees have uh, was just this, something that I just can't imagine. Uh, Corey and I were walking across the field and they were all moving their stuff out of their containers to go into the main building. They've got uh, a lot of little uh, rooms in there. And uh, Corey said, uh, how long is it going to take them? You know, how much stuff do they got? And, you know, it just hit me. I'm like, that's all the stuff that they've got probably to their name. You know, that they brought with them. That's, that's it. Ivan, we made mention one day, somebody did, that Ivan's got the same clothes on that every day. The same, you know, same jeans, the same shirt, the same hat, you know, and that's probably all his mom and him were able to get. But we did find out, you know, uh, during a campfire little session that uh, I think 80 percent of their, their town was destroyed, you know, and they'd only been at the camp for a couple of weeks. Uh, there was a lot of stories that we heard uh, as we were there of... Uh, of the camp itself, when the you know the kids would come for summer camp, the all the refugees come to that camp came about from uh, from the uh, from kids that had been to the camp from Ukraine. They had come down for summer camp, and when everything started escalating, you know they they got a hold of Bartek and and uh, and said, "Hey, is you know if things go bad." is can we come down there and stay? And they said, absolutely. And they started bringing, you know, uh, when, when things did go, they, they would send buses up to the border and, and get them off the train and bring them back down to the camp. Just, uh, it, was a, it was a very humbling experience for sure. Uh, a lot of hard work. I mean, we tried to, we, we almost finished getting all the windows and doors in. We only had two windows left. When we left, and I know that uh, that uh, Bob, Colonel, Colonel Bob, and uh, and one of the other guys got those two windows in after we left. But there was there was still a lot of uh, a lot of work to be done. Uh, we got to spend uh, one evening or last night there. Uh, Ken and I and uh, and 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 Devin and Bill, we decided we were going to sleep in the cabins that we'd been working on. And, uh, you know, that, that would be a great, great place for kids to go to summer camp. Uh, just the activities that, that they have and, and the things that they do. The, the, I, I looked on Facebook and, and just some of the worship and stuff like that that they do uh, during kids camp. And they never, they didn't know if they were going to have kids camp this year. But they decided, you know, we got refugees, we're going we're to make it happen. And they had an awesome kids camp. Uh, just the stories of the kids that could come to Christ while, while, while they were there.
uh, at the, uh, you, you know, at that camp, the uh, Andres was our uh, liaison, whatever you want to say. Uh, he was our interpreter. But when he was 19, you know, he went to that camp and they accepted Christ at that camp. And, you know, we, we, we heard, you know, a lot of different stories about, you know, diff- our kids, you know, like, you know, people coming back year after year, you know, and, and just enjoying uh, each other and experiencing the love of God. Uh, our men's group, we all got together one evening and went out for pizza. One of the guys at the uh, local church had a pizza parlor. We all sat down there and uh, ate together and, you know, told everybody kind of told little stories about being a grandfather or being a, a grandpa or a, a, a dad or a husband. And, you know, even, even listening, listening to him talk or me talking and, and, then, and then getting it translated, you know, they're just like us. They got the same struggles. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they got, there's just so much similarity between, you know, them and us. I mean, we're the, we're the same. We're, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we just had, it was just a very awesome experience. I'm Bill Kessler, and uh, I enjoyed doing the trip with these guys. It was was a lot of fun. We got a lot of work done, and what I came away from it was joy and hope. Um, Hope that all the work we did sets idle this winter, and there's no refugees who need to use it. Joy in knowing that the work that we were all able to accomplish with your help and all these guys' help, knowing that in the future, we will touch hundreds of lives of children going there for the good use of summer camp and coming to Christ. And uh, I don't have as much to say as you did. So, uh, but uh, it's really, it was really, oh, okay. You can borrow his notes. Don't borrow my notes. Oh, wow. That's a big print, too. Uh, so anyway, we had a lot of fun. I'm, I'm a man of few words, and most of the words are sarcastic humor. So um, with that being said, I'll just move on to Mark there. Well, as you can tell, we all have a hard time getting along. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the first thing I noticed when I got over to, to Poland, I'd, I'd never been to Europe before. I've been uh, on, on several mission trips over the years. But, uh, you know, at any point looking out the window driving down the road, it, it just looked like it could be Indiana. Um, you know, the buildings were a little different, but the landscape was very, very similar. It was a little cooler over there that week than it was here, <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, but it just, it did not seem like, um, you know, every other trip I'd been on. I mean, most of the places I've been, you know, Asia, uh, the Caribbean, I mean, obviously, you know, we kind of look different than, than people do there, but uh, in Europe, we look very much the same. The, the topography was the same, the, the environment was very similar, uh, and yeah, just like Mike said, I mean, when we were, you know, sharing with, with their, uh, their men, and they were, their men were sharing with us over pizza, I mean, they were going through the same struggles that we go through, and so to think about that, and to realize that, you know, where we were at, I mean, the, because of what we were doing, the war was on our mind, but when you left the camp, you know, looking out in the town, it was just another day of life, and yet 
a short car ride could take you into an active war zone. And I've seen I've seen some destruction on some of the trips I've been on, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine the magnitude of what they're dealing with. And to know that there's a place where their women and children could go and have a warm bed to sleep in and a meal. Uh, that is just, I, I can't put words to it. And, you know, oftentimes we come back from a mission trip and, and we're asked to, you know, to tell what it's like uh, to go and do something like that. And it's, it's hard to put words to it because, you know, the environment you're in, is, it's amazing. Um, yeah, the work is hard, but boy, we had a good time. I mean, we had a ball. And, uh, you know, to, to know that you're working with a group of men or a group of people that are godly people that are there serving the Lord. And, and we, we thank you for your prayers because, man, they made a world of difference. The whole trip was smooth. The, the, the drive up to Chicago was without a hitch. The flight over then from Poland or from Warsaw to Ostruda uh, and back the other direction, that we just didn't have really any problems, uh, none. And that's all because of your prayers. And we just, we really thank you for that. Um, but but to be working with these guys and, and to be in that environment where you're just you're you're lifted up in prayer every day, and you're serving the Lord, there, there's just nothing like it. There really isn't. Um, and you know my day to day job during the week uh, is is in the secular world, and it's, it, there's just no comparison. Um, if, if you've never had the opportunity to go and serve, man, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> um, but but this trip especially, I mean. To go and, and to know you're making a difference and uh, whether or not somebody's going to have a warm bed this winter and, and an otherwise cold and, and nasty winter, um, boy, I, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to have gone. So thank you very much for, for your support and for your prayers. And uh, never doubt, you know, when, when there's an opportunity, uh, whether or not what you're giving makes a difference because it does. You don't see it. But for those who get to go and see it, it is, it's breathtaking. So thank you for, for your generosity and for your prayers. And uh, God bless you. you have that scripture? Oh, yeah, this is it at the end. of the day. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, we did have a great time. A um, lot of jokes, mostly at my expense, as you can figure out. Um, I was I was verbally berated the whole time, um, while being extremely encouraging to everyone that I was serving with. Um, a lot <laughs> was <laughs> that might have been a lie straight from the pulpit. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, we picked up a lot of nicknames uh, while we were there. Um, everybody uh, got a nickname of some sort, whether good or bad, and. Um, you know, as we were putting in the windows and doors, you see uh, in the pictures they were working hard. Um, but you see the, the big, long stack of windows. Those are all the windows that we took out and put back in. All the doors that we took out, 
put back in. And I don't know how long those cabins have been there, but there's been a lot of settling and nothing is square anymore. And so we just did the best we could. Um, and we, this is Foam Boy right here. That was Foam Boy. Uh, our pastor picked up the nickname Foam Boy. And after we would get the windows and doors in, uh, we would holler for Foam Boy and he would come over and fill all the cracks uh, with foam. And he got really, really good at it. I wanted to say that. Um, and, you know, I got to thinking about that. And isn't that how God's grace is? That it comes in where things, there's gaps in our lives, and God's grace comes in, and he fills those, those gaps in our lives. Just fills it in. And, you know, as we were there serving and looking at the, at the, at the refugees and, and talking with them, um, I've got a lot of pictures, and my wife knew that she could ask me about some of the pictures, but some of them, some of them I just can't talk about yet because they're, they are people that are being affected every day. And, you know, we talked about these pods that were so small, and in our pod there were six, uh, six beds, and there was a, a small um, small walkway, and that was it. And, you know, I, I came in with my two suitcases, and I'm trying to unpack, and I'm thinking, what in the, how am I supposed to live like this? How am I supposed to live like this? I've got my, my tablet. I've got my phone. I've got my CPAP Darth Vader, Darth Vader mask. I've got all my clothes. And, he, you know, it was then that God kind of smacked me, and he said, you know what, this is one week. One week you got to live like this, and you're going. You're going back home to your family. These people don't know when they're going back home, if they're going back home, and what awaits for them back home. Is their family safe, or have they perished in the fighting? And so you know, God uses these times where we're we think we're struggling. And God says, hold on, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. We were, <laughs> it seemed like every time uh, I, I was working with Chris and Nick and Corey was with us, um, and the three of us were working and Corey was there, and it seems like every time we got started on something, somebody, we, we, all we needed was a van, a trailer, and two cordless drills. That was it. That was all we needed to complete our mission. And every time we would get started, somebody would come over and say, we need that drill to finish up some windows or some doors. And so they would take one of our drills. So then we'd have to readjust. One day, uh, we got started, and we, we, you know, Chris and I are very deep thinkers. I want you to know that. Very deep thinkers. Chris, what'd I say? Uh, yeah, Chris and I very deep thinkers and so we we figured out what we were going to do that day and we started working on it we got one round done and we're like this is going to work we're going to be able to get a lot done today and then somebody came and said uh, we need the van we said well we need the van and the trailer to to do what we're supposed to do and they said well we need the van so they took the van so they left us the trailer and then somebody else came and said uh, we need the trailer 
and so they took the trailer so we're like okay so there was a there was there was some standing around that we were doing trying to refigure what we're going to do and you know that's the way it is in our christian life isn't it sometimes there's just that period of waiting where we have to trust that everything's going to get done everything that god has planned for our life is going to get done there's going to be bits and pieces that slow us down but the work is going to get done and uh, Pastor Mike here in his sermon um, said there, said there's still a lot of work left to be done. And that's so true. There's still a lot of work to be done. When we left, we didn't get everything done that we wanted. But are you listening, church? There's still a lot of work to be done for his kingdom. And we need to be about that work. We need to be focused on him and serving wherever we can. We want to thank you for supporting us financially, prayerfully, and just and just emotionally, the encouragement that we got when we were going. We thank you so much. Thank you, uh, everyone. I... Uh, Ken was mentioning nicknames. He, he forgot Pastor Pop-Tart. Um, I won't uh, tell you who gave him that name, um, but uh, he can explain why that's his nickname now. You'll find out, I'm sure, one Sunday, but uh, Pastor Pop-Tart. Um, for me, uh, I grew up in a missions household, all right? So, so my dad went on I, dozens and dozens of mission trips to the northwest part of, of Haiti, Northwest Haiti Christian Mission. Um, and so uh, I watched that over the years. Um, I, I remember packing, uh, I can't even tell you how many, probably millions of pills, medicines to take down to Haiti that drug companies back then could donate things and take with you. I mean, I, I, we did things at our house that if you said it today, <laughs> you'd probably be arrested. I mean, we would have pill popping parties. Because you had to take it out of all the little bubble wraps and put them in Ziploc bags and put what they were with them and take it down there because you couldn't package all those. It was crazy um, what, what we did. And so I grew up watching that. But uh, for one reason or another, I never got to experience that really as a child. Just helped out with the process, sitting, waiting at the airport. Remember when you could actually go to the terminal and wait for people? Do you remember, does anyone remember those days when you could actually do that? Yeah. Uh, and, and the place being, flights being delayed and you sleep in the airport and you'd stay there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, and, and so I never really got to be a part of that. But um, when I entered into the world of youth ministry, uh, I was very quickly able um, to get to be a part of that and begin leading uh, trips around the, the globe, if you will. And it's just such a blessing. And I, I told the guys that went this um, before we left I thanked them um, absolutely from the bottom of my heart because this is something that's been on my heart and mind um, for this church since I arrived in 2018, and God finally was able to bring it to fruition, and they were the reason why God was able to do that um, because they were willing to go. If you don't remember, this all just started with a casual mention in May. Hey, guys, um, we got a chance to, the, the Poland, they've invited us to go and, and hang out with them and, and do a little work. Was anybody interested? And uh, those, those gentlemen all rose to the occasion. And so I thank them for that uh, so, so much. I thank you as a church for your prayers, absolutely. Uh, for your financial support, absolutely. And in the future, when these things happen again, and they will, God will allow them to happen again, uh, we're going to need that and more. 
the next time. Um, and I'll, I'll comment on that a little bit more. Um, hopefully, uh, those pictures that were rolling, I wanted to just explain a few things. Uh, we had a unique group with us. If you don't know the stories of everyone there, you should meet the team that went and, and get to know them personally. Because we had everyone from a, a teenager to a college student to uh, someone that just accepted Christ just a couple years ago. So they're brand new to the faith, even though their age might not indicate that to you at first glance. We, we took someone on the, the trip who isn't exactly, um, let's see, how do I, uh, his palate isn't very expansive. Is that a nice way of saying that? I think it is. I think it's a very nice way of saying that. Um, they're picky eaters. And so what do we do? Well, the first stop, once we got into Poland, we got on the bus. And our first stop, once we got on the bus to get up to, uh, to Estrada was uh, at, uh, yes, McDonald's. Yes, yes, we ate at McDonald's. That's where Andres wanted to take us, was McDonald's in Poland. And so uh, I think Devin knew at that point in time he was going to be all right for the trip. Um, I, think, I think that was, that was reassuring. And you did hear them mention the word pizza. Some of them three times had pizza while we were in Poland, just so you know. Um, but that wasn't the highlight of our food. Um, we ate at the camp uh, most of the time that we were there. And because they're housing these refugees, it's a summer camp. I don't think they always have a cook staff, but uh, because they're housing these refugees, they have an actual cook staff in the kitchen, uh, three meals a day. They're, they're making the food. And I remember very specifically, we were sitting there eating. It wasn't the night we were eating pork roast. It would have been the second day um, that we were eating. I don't even remember what we had. Was that, was that well, they're, they're, if you don't know in Europe, their big meal is lunch. And so your lunch meal was usually much larger than your dinner meal. And so uh, we had like fried pork tenderloin one night. We had pork roast one night. That was delicious. Um, but one day we, we were watching in the kitchen. We saw an, an older grandma type hand making these pierogies. If you know what a pierogi is. And she was handmade putting the cheese and stuffing them with the meat and just hand making, pressing them all the way and made the dough all by hand. And we're like, oh, I can't wait to try those. And we got to. We were there that night for that dinner, and it was delicious, was it not, gentlemen? Yes, those were, those were very, very, very good. And so, so we did get to experience a little bit of the, the culture and the, and the food. Um, you saw some pictures of, uh, of uh, uh, Warsaw. On Saturday, uh, Andres wanted to take us and, and let us actually learn a little bit about the country of Poland. I am very thankful that he did. I grew up as a child of the 80s, and so anybody else that was around in the 80s knows what Poland was in the 80s. And so it was a very, very different place than what it is now. And so we got to learn a little bit of that history. And um, some, some of the old stuff that you saw was Old Town Warsaw. Now, keep in mind that Warsaw was completely destroyed during World War II. So most everything you saw was rebuilt to its original form. So you saw some old brick structures. You saw an old gate. Um, that is the old Warsaw city entrance, like the original city entrance, the fortified walls that protected Warsaw way back in the day. You saw a, a bronze plaque in the pavement that said, 13-something-something. Yeah, that was in front of the big Catholic church that you saw pictures of. That is when that church was started. Now, that church obviously was destroyed in World War II, but they rebuilt it, and it was an incredible, incredible, incredible structure. Um, just beautiful on the inside. Quite honestly, never been anywhere that old or anywhere that beautiful in my life as far as a, a structure is concerned. I mean, just, just phenomenal. And so uh, what an opportunity to go and to experience that uh, with that team. So thank you again for that. Um, please, please, please listen 
Look for opportunities. Mark said something there at the end that I, I just wanted to highlight. I was very, I didn't say, make any comments while anybody was talking. I was, I was so proud of myself um, for not interjecting. Um, but uh, Mark said something at the very, very end of that. And, and, and it is true. If you've had a chance to go on a mission trip, it doesn't have to be overseas. If you've had a chance to go on a mission trip to serve in some capacity that's out of your norm, you're not in the place you normally are, you're not with the people you normally are, maybe you're not doing the thing you normally do. If you've ever had a chance to do that and you allow it, it changes your life. It changes your perspective on everything. Absolutely. And Mark, I think I'll quote him. He said, um, if you've never had a chance to go and serve, here's the thing. If you've never had a chance to go and serve, you see, the reality about service is it's a mindset. You don't have to go. You don't have to go to serve. If you serve right here in this place with that same mindset, God will bless you in the same ways he does as if you go to pick the foreign land. Because I can tell you right now, we've got a sump pump that needs replaced here at the church so somebody could play, replace and serve. We've got some bathroom floors that need replaced here at the church. You could volunteer your time and come in and do that. And you know what? The same idea is going to happen, the same things. We've got kids' ministry, people that need to be taught lessons, people that need to be loved on on a Sunday morning, just like refugee kids in, in Warsaw, Poland, in Estrada, Poland. It's all about the heart with which you do things. And if you come at it with that heart, it doesn't matter when, where, how, or what you do, God will bless you, and you will be rewarded for that service. I guarantee it. So we've got to keep that in mind. Not all of us are able to travel. Not all of us want to travel. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay, some of us like it at home. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. That may not be your thing, but if it's not your thing, that's okay. Please support those that it is their thing. Please do, because they have a passion. God wired them to want to do that. But then take advantage of the opportunities God gives you in your context, in your circumstance, to serve and to love the people around you in your community. All right, let's pray and then we'll dive into a very, very short message today. Father God, I'm so thankful that you allowed me to be a part of this group to go. What an amazing group of men you sent. Uh, the interactions were, they were incredible. Father, you, you put those pieces together perfectly. And then you went ahead and behind the scenes, you put together the finances for the trip perfectly. And then you went ahead and, and you provided Andres for us to, to orchestrate everything in country for us absolutely perfectly. There wasn't a hiccup the whole trip. Your hand and design was all over it. We couldn't have done it without you. And we acknowledge and we praise you for this opportunity. And we look forward to seeing what you would have us do next. Father, it's incredible incredible the ways that we can go and do your work even across the globe. Thank you for a church that supports that type of ministry. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the unique things that, that I got to do, um, I, I kind of listen very closely to people and conversations and all those things. And some of the things I'm going to say you heard bits and pieces of, I'm going to expand upon just a little bit. But I wanted to let Tony and Jerry know, and there's probably a couple other uh, that remember. Um, while we were there, obviously, Andres was our host. Andres has been here at the church a couple times um, to speak to you guys. He now lives in Connecticut with his wife, who's from Connecticut. He's from Poland. But he was the camp director 
prior. Uh, while there, a man named Bartek is now currently the camp director. Then we got to meet the previous camp director. So the camp director before Andres, he is now the local pastor at the Church of Christ, the, the independent Christian church like us right there in Ostratus. We got to meet him. We got to meet his predecessor at the church, the, the retired pastor that he took the place of, which was awesome. The only person we didn't get to meet, um, I believe, uh, where, where are you at, Tony? Tony, you're usually over here. There you are. Was his name George, the person that originally signed us up to help? Yes. Um, Andres met with him after he dropped us off at the airport. He went to go meet with him that day. So he's still around and doing great, and he got to talk to, I know that means nothing to a lot of you, but I wanted to let Tony know, that guy's still around, and he's still ministering to, he wanted to meet with Andres just to talk about ministry. And so how cool is that? Um, I'm so excited that we got to meet those generations of this camp and the ministry that they have been doing. Now, I mentioned this kind of, but the, our church has now supported this camp for probably a little more than 30 years. We've been supporting. It's just a church camp. That's what it is. It's a church camp, just like Camp Ileana. It's a church camp. It's just in Poland, and we'd never had an opportunity to send a team over. So in 2019, we met with Andres, and we got a team that was excited to go. We were going to rebuild an amphitheater over there at the camp for that next summer. Theirs was all rotten. It was all railroad ties. And it was falling apart, and they needed it rebuilt. That was our mission. That was our goal. We we're going to take a team over spring break in 2020, but something happened in spring of 2020. I don't remember what it was, but it, something happened, and so we couldn't go, and so we rescheduled, and then we couldn't go in October, then we rescheduled, and we couldn't go, so we finally had to just cancel the trip, and that was a bummer, a very big bummer, but now we know why we had to cancel the trip, don't we? So that we could go now to meet a need that two years ago, no one on planet Earth could have predicted would even exist. No one thought Russia would invade Ukraine two years ago. No one was talking about that. It was not on the radar. No one could have predicted that three million plus refugees from Ukraine would come into Poland, could they? If you haven't looked at that picture of the map before, you can see uh, Kiev there, and most of the refugees that were at the camp are from a suburb of Kiev that's, like he said, been completely destroyed. Estrada is way up there, and there's no way to go. You, you got to go over and up. So it's, it's a solid 12 hours, 10 hours at least, um, to get from point A to point B. Um, I, one of the things that I, I really thought of, we went to a museum um, in Poland uh, fairly recently opened museum, last five or six years, talking about the resistance of them with the Russians when the Russians were the rulers of the day, um, and, and the Germans as well. But um, when you look at Poland, man, that poor country, look what they're surrounded by. Like, they got no chance, you know? They just, they've been, if, if you study the history of Poland, they've been overrun and overtaken by basically everybody, and then some. Um, it's, just, it's just terrible what they've had to go through. And if you don't know, Belarus... Um, while it is it's technically its own country, it is pretty much occupied by Russia now. And so Russia is right at the doors of Poland yet again. So it's, it's a super sad, sad thing. But the, uh, the, the Polish people are, are uh, resilient, to say the least. Now, as a kid growing up in the 80s, I always thought Poland was just kind of weird. The only thing I can distinctly remember uh, from history class about Poland was the Warsaw Pact. Anybody remember the Warsaw Pact? I studied history. Okay, I remember that very specifically, but I never really understood Poland because as a kid in America, we thought of Poland as just being part of the Soviet Union. It was part of the Soviet bloc countries. We, we didn't really probably be able to differentiate that they didn't want to be part of the, so, the Soviet bloc countries. That's just how they were. 
Now, if you're aware of the history of it, then you know after the Germans were defeated in World War II, the arrangements were made, and basically Soviets end up getting the territory as part of the deal. They came in and took over. They tried to seize control. They tried to communize completely Poland, but the Polish people will never really uh, into that. Um, there was uprising after uprising. Yes, they lost every one of them, okay? But there was uprising after uprising against that Soviet occupation until finally 1991 when the Soviet Union dissolved and Poland finally held their first free election since before World War II, to give you a perspective, okay? And this is a central part of Europe. This, is, this country is one of the, the best economies in all of Europe. Um, it's crazy what they've been able to do. But if you know that history, then you can begin to understand why on earth would Poland just open its doors to three million people from Ukraine? Uh-huh. Because they still don't like Russia, <laughs> okay? And they, they wanted to help those people. They know what it's like to be overtaken by that country. They know what that feels like. And there's still people living that know what that's feel like. And the descendants of those people that fought in those wars and those resistances. And so they welcomed them right in. But my question from the beginning was, well, how did they end up all the way up there at the camp? Because that's not anywhere near actual Ukraine. It's more than 12 hours away by car to get there. Why did that happen? Well, a few years ago, the camp began to host, began to host some, some students in, at summer camp from Belarus and from Ukraine, both. Uh, families and, and kids would come up to camp at that camp. There's not a whole lot of Christian church camps in the area, okay? And so there are Christian churches in those countries, and they have a network of people there, and so they got kids up that way. As Mike alluded to then, when this all began to happen and war broke out and they didn't know exactly what was going to happen, one of the churches in Ukraine that had sent kids up to camp contacted the camp and said, hey, should we need it, would you be willing to house people from our area? Now, Bartek was very candid when he shared this with us that he said um, they had absolutely no idea how they could afford to do that. It's a summer church camp, okay? This isn't a, a multi-million dollar organization, or where on earth they would put them. The only housing there is that big white house. You saw us all sitting in, in benches, sitting on the beach of their, their lake, their little pond there. That big white house behind us has lots of rooms in it. It's kind of the main building on the campus. And then the, the cabins that we were working on, that was it. They had no idea how they were going to do this, but they realized they couldn't possibly say no. <laughs> and so to give you an idea, at one point in time this spring, they had a, 192 refugees staying at that little camp. That's a lot of extra people, okay, for a small little camp. They said that the chapel, which I think there's a picture of inside the chapel with just some bunk beds just stacked in there. That's where we're moving the beds to to clean out those um, containers that people had been living in. That was completely full with, with hundreds of people sleeping on the floor on cots, on anything. They could. Every square inch of that room was filled with refugees staying at the camp. But as Mike alluded to, summer was approaching, and they had a dilemma. Are we going to be able to have summer camp because... Um, we don't have any room for the kids coming and the refugees that are there. Where would they house them? And so that's where those containers came in. Um, they were actually really super nice on the inside. Very small, but super nice. Very soundproof. I mean, very private. They, they, were, they were really well done. Air conditioning, heating, um, both. They didn't have running water. They had a couple of trailers for that, shower and, and bath trailers um, for the, the people to use. But these shipping containers, they used as rooms. That's where we stayed while we were there. They had six people and, and a lot of them. There were three sets of bunk beds, 24 units in all. You can do the math on how many people could possibly stay there. 
What we found out was that these containers actually were intended for the Ukrainian army. They were to be as barracks somewhere down in Ukraine for the soldiers. But we don't, I still never heard the story as to how they ended up at the camp, but they did. And one of our jobs was then to clean them out because last week, the week after we were gone, they were to come and pick up all of those containers to take them somewhere else, I suppose. So this allowed the refugees to stay throughout the entire summer so they could have kids' camps just as they normally would at the same time. And yes, many of those Ukrainian kids got to go to those camps, as did some of their parents, I'm sure. What an incredible camp season for the camp to get to tell those kids about Jesus all summer long. Yeah, what a neat opportunity. God's provided all the support that they needed, all the finances they needed, all the housing they needed for that entire summer, because that's what God does. And he continues to provide for them right now. Right now, there was about 43 refugees still at the camp, but they expect the population to grow as winter comes in, because a lot of the refugees, that 192, had returned home to visit family, friends, whatever. They have no homes left. They have a lot of them stay in apartment buildings, things like that. Those are all gone but they were able to stay in tents, things like that. As the weather turns, they expect some of those refugees to make their way back um, as the war continues to drag on. And if you remember, those of us that watched the news when this war began, it was only going to last two weeks. So just keep that in mind, right? These people are on constant, constant edge. Family, I got to remind you of this very simple truth. Through that trip that God provided for us, you were there. I don't know if you realize that, but you were literally the hands and feet of of Jesus to a people that you can only see on the news, and they're barely in the news anymore, these Ukrainian refugees. You reached out 4,680 miles from here to Estrada, Poland, across the North Atlantic, to a place that most of us will never, ever be able to actually physically go. You see, God has a plan for his family, for us here at Berea. And this is just one way in which he is calling us to reach out to the world around us. Now, I know I had conversations with some of the men going on the trip, and I had a couple conversations with some folks even from here that expressed their doubts and their concerns about such th- this kind of trip. Now, part of it was due to, to the Russian involvement in an actual act of war going away on, on not too far away from where we are. But the biggest concern with anyone, whenever you go on trips like this, always seems to be, man, that costs so much money. Why couldn't we just take that money and invest it right here in the local community, right here? There's lots of people in need. And that is an honest question. However, that question comes from a place of great misunderstanding. People that have that view, I'm going to be very honest, but it's kind of blunt too, People that have that understanding do not have a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is important that we are engaged in our local community. And tonight, I might have mentioned this earlier, and tonight you get a chance to engage with your local community. You get to come and share a meal and offer encouragement, talk with, support, offer to pray with as you share the meal with the entire staff of Forest Park Elementary School. We don't know who all will come from there. We've invited the whole staff. We're praying that many of them come, and we want you to join them. This is ministry. This is mission work, meeting with these teachers. Some of them have their own church homes, absolutely, and that's awesome. Many of them don't. They don't have a family like this to support them off the job. So hopefully you're planning on being here tonight at 530 to do some mission work, because that's what it is. Bring a yard game with you. Bring a bag chair with you. 
Extend the gift of hospitality to those working with the children in our community. Share with them the love of Jesus that he has shared with you. It's an incredible opportunity. So if you ever wondered, how can I get started in mission work? Show up tonight at 530. It's that simple, folks. It's that simple. You see, the, Jesus, the gospel that Jesus gives us believers, the directions that he gives us are very specific. Luke records this for us. We just finished the book of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. Right at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Jesus says to his apostles and others that were there listening that day, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, until the ends of the earth. So we got to start right here in Brazil. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to do, and we do. Besides all that we do here as a church in this building, there are six missions we support that minister directly to this community right away, Clay County. Plus, God's got all of us scattered across Clay County, Vigo County, Putnam County, Sullivan County, probably some people in Park County too. Who knows where else? God's watching, people watching online. He's got to spread all over to do his work. We take this part of the Great Commission very, very seriously. We take it to heart. Then he calls us to reach out to Judea, all the areas around us. These are, 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 we are intentional about this. We have another seven ministries that support the area around us, our state, our nation. Then beyond that, those ministries, they, they reach out all across this country. And then we take it to the next step, Samaria and the ends of the earth. Currently, we have four ministries that we support that are out of this country, of, uh, overseas, if you will. You see, Jesus' instructions were very clear. It was never either or. It was always both and. We must do all of those things. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That's really hard to do if you sit here, isn't it? <laughs> it's the truth. For the church, the family of God, even individual believers, Jesus' instructions are very, very clear. One of the other ways that we try to engage all of us in our missions here at Berea are through opportunities like last week. Now, I know many of you weren't able to be a part of last week for one reason or another. If you have not already, please get online and watch Brady from last week. Please, 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 we'll know because we can see how many people have viewed it online. Please, it is worth your time to go on and hear what Brady shared with us last week. We have 17 missionaries or missions that we currently support. Four of those really don't have a person, if you will, to come and, and speak to us on a Sunday. For the rest of them, since God brought me here in 2018, we have been able to host in-house on a Sunday morning 12 of the 13 missionaries for you to hear about. The other one wasn't able to stick around, but a group of us got to meet. So we've met with all 13 of those missions since then. I believe the Bible tells us that ministry is about relationships, now, we can write checks to organizations all over the world. They're doing great work for the gospel. That's wonderful. But we need to know them. We need to bring them in, and we need to allow them to share with you the heart behind their mission. Now, I got to listen to what Brady shared with you last week about Oblong Christian Children's Home, and he did an amazing job. He is passionate. He has a heart for that mission. If you did not listen, please, please, please hop online and listen, my prayer is that each time we're able to host one of these missionaries, that their mission, their message will grab the heart of some of you like never before. Hopefully God will move several people actually 
to support that mission in a new way, to pray for that mission in a new way, and maybe even inspire you to go and serve at that mission in some crazy way you never even thought about. Maybe before you listened to Brady, you never knew that that mission even existed. Maybe you didn't know what they did or how they did it. Now you do. What are you going to do with that information? Is it just going to sit there or is God calling you, moving you to do something? How has God challenged you to respond? Maybe you know somebody that could use that ministry of Oblong Christian Children's Home because their family is going through some very difficult times and now you can refer them to an incredible place that will help partner with them and their kids. Make these things personal. We do not bring in these missions just to fill in a Sunday. I promise you that. That's why I'm usually here on the Sundays that the missions people speak because I want to hear their message too. We bring them in to open your hearts and minds to the ministries that this church supports outside of these four walls so that we can have a genuine relationship with each and every one of them so that your heart can be moved to answer the call of the Spirit of God. A few years ago, we invited, we, we actually mentioned all of our missions. We talked about every single one, all 17 that we support. And if you were wondering, um, all of those missions, I'm not going to mention them all by name today. They're all on that missions wall out there to the right as soon as you leave this room. It's a beautiful display with all of those missions, pamphlets on, on various ones. Not all of them have pamphlets, but their names at least are all mentioned. Back then, two years ago, we asked for help. We want to adopt all 17 of these missions. Um, we prayed that God would lead uh, somebody that had a heart for those missions to connect with each and every one of them. Their role as, as the adopter of that mission is simply this, to reach out to that mission at least once a month to see what kind of victories, what things are happening at your mission. What kind of prayer requests do you have right now in this moment? What other needs, physical needs maybe do you have at that mission? to be a liaison for Berea so that they know who we are. They know that we care about them. You could ask them, no one else does this. Churches don't call and check on their missionaries like this. It is an incredible outreach and encouragement to those missionaries, letting them know that we want to be involved with that mission. It also gives that mission a very specific name and face to connect with when they come here. You see, most missionaries have a home church. A lot of times it's a church they grew up in, right? A home church that they come back to. Here's what we want. We want them every time they visit Berea to feel like this is their home church. That's the relationship we want. That's the family we want to have with these missions. And I want to make you aware right now we have two of our missions that are available for adoption, if you will. One of them is our church camp, Camp Ileana. They need a liaison, someone to take them on as their own, to pray for them, to reach out to them about once a month. The second one is, is Damu Christian Mission. Now, we have one person that, that helps out with that already because they have a long history with them, but we need a second one to come on board and, and adopt that mission as their own, somebody to, to just communicate with them. We had their leaders, Jessica and Lubens, here for VBS a couple years ago. We had them on stage probably about a year ago or so. Their mission is in Haiti. If you don't know about what's going on in Haiti, and you probably don't because it's not in the news anymore, Haiti is a complete disaster right now. It's completely unsafe for all Americans. My sister is a missionary in Haiti, and we're in the process of her fleeing the country. It's that bad. We need to be in close communications with our missionaries that are in these places. We need to find out how we can help. 
Might you be willing to be our contact person for one of those two missions, Camp Ileana or Damu Christian Mission? It is vital that we have a personal relationship with every mission that we support, and we need those two filled right now. And so if you would be willing, please, please, please see me after church. We're going to fill these ASAP. If you have a heart for one of those two, God just struck you right now. And Yep, I want to be a liaison to that mission. Talk to me on your way out, and we will get you the info this week. We want those filled as soon as we possibly can. So here's the thing. You might be asking, Chris, these people talk, where is all this going? How will we tile this together? What drives us in 2022 to continue to strive to obey the commands of Jesus in this arena, in this arena today? It's a great question, and I will share with you the answer next week. See, because I'm a child of the 80s, so I love to be continued. Ah, love the cliffhanger. We don't do that anymore. We binge watch everything, right? We don't have those things anymore. So join us next week as we talk about what it means to turn your passion into action. And some might say, well, this wasn't a particular evangelical uh, sermon, message, time, if you will. You know, I would like to argue with you about that (laughs) because um, there's nothing more evangelical than giving you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. That is what we're to do, period. And there's many, many ways to respond to the gospel, but none of them can happen without the first response. And that's to accept your Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your creator as your Lord and Savior. Until that decision is made, there is no other response to the gospel. We must do that first. And so we always want to make it a point, no matter what we say or do on a Sunday morning, to emphasize that reality. If you've come here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then please don't leave here without that relationship with Jesus. But if something one of these gentlemen shared or just the idea of this kind of trip or those two missions, something just breaks in your heart for those people, for the people in Florida right now, uh, we can get you in touch with folks. You can help right away. I guarantee it. We've got connections in all of those arenas. In other words, church, if you've ever sat at home, watched the news and said, well, gosh, what could I do? There's just nothing I can do. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. There is something you can do. It begins with prayer for the people involved, and then it begins with prayer, asking God, what can I do? And God will reveal the path for you. Father God, as we close this time and move into a time of remembrance, Father, I pray that your people here can fully hear the gratefulness in all of our hearts for their willingness to support us on this trip. Father, it was a risk to take, but it was a risk for you, and any risk for you is worth taking. Father, we thank you for the privilege and honor we have in this society, in our country, with our means here in this country to go and to serve in these ways. It's incredible. What a blessing to do that. And thank you for a church that supports its staff and its other members to go and serve in these ways. But Father, we know that's only a part of what you've called us to do. And you've called every single person listening today, watching online, in person, doesn't matter. You've called every one of us to serve. Father, to serve and to love those around us, to serve in ways that we're good at. Father, to serve in ways that maybe we're not the best. Father, to serve in ways that we've never even thought of. You've called none of us just to come and sit on the sidelines and watch. 
So Father, would you inspire your people today moving forward into the season of giving to serve and to love and to give in ways that they've just never dreamed about and help them understand that no matter how small they think the gift is or how minimal their contribution might be or their task might be to perform the Father in your kingdom, that work, that task, that gift is multiplied more than we could ever hope to imagine. And your message, your gospel, your love will be shared literally across this globe as a result.